for coming and worshiping with us. And we're in the midst of a series that's going to run all summer long. And it's based on the Baptist faith and message. And that's kind of a collection of thoughts and doctrines of what Baptists believe based on the scripture. So if you're watching the, the uh, movie there and you see our movies every week, you kind of go looking for a theme. And there's everything from, you know, some, some war type scenes there with, you know, with family. What is that? It's a, it's a collage of all that we're going to look at this summer. Now, we're in lesson number three. And believe me, I'm not going to do this every week. But because we're lesson number three, I will. You remember the first week we talked about scriptures, okay? We talked about that. And then Brent last week had the large task of talking about God and doing it in about 40 minutes. So that was a pretty big challenge. And today, we want to talk about man. And now, gentlemen... Because it's Father's Day, don't get all antsy and go, oh, no, man, he's going to, like, level both barrels at us. No, no, no. That's like man as in mankind, okay? The sermon title, man, oh, man, oh, man, is mankind. Take a look at who we are. Because the Bible's got a lot to say about who we are, and it's all very, very important. Now, you know, there's a story that goes that a guy uh, went to the doctor, okay, and a couple of days later, he gets this phone call from the doctor. And the doctor says, hi, Jim, this is Dr. Joe. And he said, yeah, what's up? He goes, well, listen, um, uh, um, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which one do you want first? And, you know, Joe said, well, I think I'll take the good news. Okay, the good news. All right, you're terminally ill. You're going to die. You've got two days to live. And Joe goes, what? That's the good news? What's the bad news? He said, I tried to call you yesterday. <laughs> I tell such great jokes. If you remember about six years ago, I probably told that same joke again. You know, anyway, I don't know new ones, but I've got these ones. But anyway, so today, today, in the view of mankind, I've got some really good news and I've got some really hard news or bad news, okay? And, you know, if you saw Infinity Wars, Avengers Infinity Wars, if you're one of the Marvel people that like to go to the movies and see those uh, super action hero movies, you know, uh, you know, Infinity War ended in a really, really weird way. I mean, we're used to the heroes winning, okay? Well, we, I go see this movie, you know, I, I see all of them, you know? And, and we get to the end and all the superheroes are dying, Dying, and the movie just sort of ends with all them like dead. I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't end the movie like this. Well, hopefully if I do my job well, I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to end the movie in a wrong place. And I hope you're going to go, wait, wait, wait. You can't end it like that. Well, here I'll give you already just a hint. Already, I want you to know this. There were hints of hope. Hints of hope for the next movie. And you're going to have to come back next week for the real story. Okay? But I'm going to give you hints today to kind of hold you over until next week. So don't think when we land today going, oh, no. If you look, I'm going to tell you, there are hints of glory. So when we speak about mankind, what is the really good news? And, you know, we don't hear this. All we hear is the fact that man's bad, man's bad, man's bad, man's bad, man's bad. But I want to take us all the way back and look at the beginning and show you the high view of man. The high view of man. Now we're going to start, as always, we're going to go to several scriptures, but we're going to start today in Psalm 8. 
in Psalm 8. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, it'll be on the screen. Get your phone out, however you do it, okay? In Psalm 8, verses 3 through 5, all right, this is a Psalm of David. And David was so gifted in writing and had incredible insight into God. Okay, so here's what he says, and this ties in so nicely with the very first sermon in this series when we talked about the witness of God. Here's Psalm 8, verses 3. It says this, David writing, remember remember David, the shepherd boy who became king? When I look at, now notice the personal pronoun here. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have set in place. Now, it's very obvious, okay, that David did not have a problem with God being the creator. That's really kind of a new deal, okay? When the last 130, 40 years, man got so smart, they figured out that there had to be something else beside a God who spoke all of this in being. David didn't have that issue, and by the way, really, you shouldn't have that issue either. Just look around and see the evidence for God everywhere. David certainly did. He would be out there, you know, on, on the hills, of, you know, tending the sheep or running from Saul or sitting on top of the rooftop, not looking at Bathsheba, but rather looking around at the stars. And he goes, you know, when I see all of this, when I see the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, then verse 4, what is man? What is man? That you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. David goes and says, when I think about all the wonder of all that you've made, and then how is it that you even think about man? How is it that you're mindful of him? How is it that he's in your thought process? How is it that he's in your view? And bigger than that, how is it that you care for him? We're so insignificant. We're so insignificant. If you remember some of the numbers about the fact that that our solar system is part of a billion solar systems in the Milky Way, our galaxy. And there's billions of stars and it takes 5.5 trillion light years to fly from one inch of the Milky Way to the other. And you think about there beyond this galaxy, there are billions of other galaxies. When we think about all of that, how big it all is, how big God is, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. I am amazed today that creator God cares about me. Now that should be something that lights your fire. That should be something that lights your fire. Creator God, look at me, look at me, cares about me. God cares about you. He cares. He cares. He cares. Benny, God cares about you. How amazing is that? And then, then David just launches this, what I consider a bombshell. A good bombshell. If that, wow, that God, prayer God, wow, God thinks about me, God cares about me, then listen to what David says. He goes in verse 5, yet, yet, we're insignificant in the sense of the size of the universe and the galaxies and all that. Yet, he says, you have made him, man, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Now, I've known that verse for a long time, and, and it's, it's a real significant verse. Now, probably if you've got the King James, maybe the New King James, it says, you have made him a little lower than the angels. And I always thought that was pretty incredible. I mean, here's God, here's the angels, and here's Dwayne. I'm going, wow, that's pretty incredible. That's, that's pretty wow. That's pretty big. 
And, and then if you've got one of the more, a little bit more modern translations, okay, then it might say something like the Christian standard does here. It says heavenly beings, okay, talking about angels. Well, that, I thought that was pretty wild too. That was pretty cool, okay? But then I studied this lesson. And I looked at one of the most conservative commentaries that I own. So this is not some weird commentary. And I even checked it with my strongs with the Greek words. Because the Greek word here doesn't mean angels. The Greek, I'm sorry, the Hebrew, not Greek. The Hebrew word here does not mean angels. The Hebrew word here does not mean heavenly beings. Um, it sometimes is translated that, but it's not. You know what the word here is? Elohim. It's God. Elohim. Some translations have it. You've made him a little lower than God. Elohim. Now, that was big. That was big. So, so all of a sudden, this verse explodes. All of a sudden, it explodes. Here's God's high view of man. Here's, how, here's from David's view from what God said. And we believe David's writing the inspired word of God. He says, yet you have made him a little lower than God. And crowned him, crowned him with glory and honor. What a high view. What a high view. So we have God... And then lower than God is not the angels. It's not heaven. It is man. Now, in just a moment, we're going to jump over from Genesis chapter 1, and you're going to see how much sense this makes. Now, now don't get all puffy. You know, don't get all puffy and go, well, I knew I was something special. I'm right up there with God. You ain't even in the same ballpark. Don't get all puffy because, trust me, a little lower than God is a long way from God. Don't be thinking that you're like God because you ain't like God, all right? A long way. You know, they told me this. They said, if you take, if you take a vortex here, I think that's what you call that thing, whatever that point is there. Okay, if you get that, and if it's only one degree, one degree separation, okay? You know, you go out 10 feet, it's like a foot, all right? But if you go out like a zillion miles, it's a zillion miles apart. That's how the view is here. When David says, you, yeah, you made him just a little lower than yourself, than God, because of the vastness, it's a huge separation. But I really want you to see the high view that God has for man. And that is, God has made him a little lower than himself. You must always see, though, listen, you must see, you, this is because of pride, because we have a tendency to get puffy. Okay? We must see that through the lens of God. Only through the lens of God. If you do not see that statement, yet you've made him a little lower than God himself, if you don't see it through the lens of God, we get puffy fast. And we have no right to be puffy. Apart from Jesus, we are nothing. We are zero. Amen? Amen? Okay, okay, okay. So, so he says, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, or God, and crowned him with glory and honor. What an amazing thing. That's a high view. That's good news. That's good news. Now watch this. We spend so much time angry at God. I mean, you know, you take a, take a look out in the world, and we're mad all the time at God. Why did God allow this? And why does God do that? And how come God created this mess in the first place? Well, news flash, God did not create the mess. We did. We did. I don't know if you've ever really taken a look at Genesis chapter 1 and, and take a look and see the way God meant it to be. The way God meant it to be. And that's why this really ties in. When David says in Psalm 8, yet you have made him a little lower than God than, than yourself, 
If you look at the way God created and planned this thing, it fits right in perfectly. Look back in your Bibles in Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 26. And again, some of you may have read, may have read in a long time. Here's what, here's what the Bible says. Moses wrote it. God says it. Then God said, let us. Now pause, just for fun, just for fun. Isn't it cool that way back in Genesis chapter 1, 26 verses into the word of God, God confirms the Trinity. It's a plural pronoun. Not let me, let not let I, but let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Kind of cool, kind of cool. And no, that's, that's in the original Hebrew, okay? So let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So at the very beginning, God says, hey, I'm going to create man in our image. See how that confirms what David said? A little lower than God himself? We are created in the image of God. Now, we know that's not talking about physical appearance. Because John 4, 24 says that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So you've got to get out of your head that God's up there and he looks like a gray-haired old man. All right? Because that is not what, okay, God is saying. God is saying, when he says, let us make man our image according to our likeness, you know, it's the way we're made. For instance, I just mentioned, God is triune. Father, Son, Spirit. He's a triune God. We are a triune being. Body, soul, and spirit. We're made that way. Okay? Catch this. God is an eternal being. He, though, he, though, he, though, had no beginning and no end. However, we, too, are eternal beings. We had a beginning, but we have no end. That end will ever that end that never comes, that eternity will either be A, with God in a place called heaven, by faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or it'll be in hell, living eternally separated from God in a place called hell. But once you are born, you are an eternal being. Your future goes on. The question is, where are you going to spend it? Where are you going to spend it? And then we have this unique capacity um, um, to love. Uh, to, to have personality, to, to, to differentiate truth, to have wisdom, just like our Heavenly Father does. I mean, you know, we, we have the ability to, to appreciate a sunset. I mean, if you have a dog, when's the last time you saw your dog sitting on the porch and you said to your dog, what you doing? I'm just watching that beautiful sunset. Just an amazing thing. Dogs don't do that. No other animal but man, no creation besides man, has the ability to appreciate things like that. And it's just like God. So when he says that, that we're made according to his likeness and in his image, we are made like God, that we're triune, we're eternal, and we have the ability, the capacity to have personality and to appreciate things. So God said all this stuff. And he says, and they will rule. Now, now you've got to appreciate this. Okay? One, we're made in the image of God, and then God says, I'm going to let them be, man be, my representative on earth. And watch, 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 watch. They will rule. We men like that. We're going to rule. We're gonna, we get to rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. This is the way God meant it to be. 
God said, I'm going to create you in my image, a little lower than me, in my image, and then I'm going to let you rule. Now, do you see it? Do you see it? There's the dominion of the water. There's the dominion of the sky. There's the dominion of the earth, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on it. God says, man, I'm going to create you in my image, and then you get to rule it all. You get to rule it all. And by the way, someone's going, I don't think we're ruling it anymore. No, you're not. Because they surrendered in the garden. They gave up their rule in the garden. Adam and Eve did. That's why it's not played out like this. Okay? So, so we have this. So he's going to let you rule. So, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Won't spend a lot of time there. But he created us male and female for a purpose. Well, Dwayne, what's the purpose? Well, you're gonna, you guys are going to like this. Verse 28. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Now, I'll bet you know this. Before sin, God looked and said, Adam and Eve, I'm going to create you. You're going to be created in our image. You're going to rule the earth. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to have babies. Did you know that? Before sin, once you go out there and want you to multiply, uh, fill, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That's why I give you male and female. I want you to fill up the earth. All right? Man, you've got to love this. You, you know, look at you. Go make babies and rule the world. You men should be going, right? Yeah. Shoot that thing. That's what I'm talking about. Now, that's a pretty good plan. Amen? Amen? Don't be embarrassed. It's in the Bible. We're okay. We're okay here. How cool is that? That's what I want you to do. And then he said, I want you to rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. I want you to fill this earth. Now watch. I want you to fill this earth with a perfect human race and rule over it. Wow. I didn't know that was in the Bible. It is. That was God's plan. Um, murder. Sin, cancer, sorrow, death, grief, hunger. That was never God's plan. That all came about because of what comes up next. And that's why I entitled the sermon sheet, The Sin Vortex. The Sin Vortex. A man got sucked into sin. And I know we've studied Genesis 3 so many times, but I do think there's a couple things we can pick up. Perhaps for some of you, it'll be a lot of fresh material. Some of you may just be a couple things, but we can see it. So here we are, just to back up, made just a little lower than God, made in His image, a triune being, uh, all of that, with, with the ability to appreciate the aesthetics of life, all those different things, made like God. God put us on the earth to rule, and then finally said, no, I don't want you to rule, but I want you to fill the earth. I want you to multiply the earth, fill the earth. That's what I want you to do. And then along comes Genesis chapter Here's what it says. In Genesis 3, 1, the sin vortex. Now the serpent was the most cunning, uh, conniving, subtle of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. So in the garden, there is a creature. It's really the devil manifested in the form of a serpent. All right? And so he said, now the he said is the snake. Now, let me just give you some really good advice. 
If you're anywhere and a snake starts talking to you, run. Run. You remember your mama told you something? Now, it's really a recent thing. When I was growing up, uh, when I was a kid, you could really talk to strangers. There, there was, just wasn't that fear. I mean, the things we, we see today about child molestation, all that, I mean, I'm not saying they didn't occur, but they were pretty rare. And so you, you could talk to strangers. But now, if you're a good mom and dad, you, what do you tell your kid? Don't talk to strangers. Well, I wish somebody would have told Eve. I mean, a snake crawls up, you know, and starts this conversation with her and to talk to the hand because the face isn't listening. I know not to talk to strangers. No one told her that. So Satan says, and I know, don't miss this. Did God really say? This whole thing is designed to get her to doubt God. Now, again, I didn't want to just teach you stuff. I want you to be able to apply stuff. Okay? There's a big application here. When you start hearing whisperings in your ear, okay, either without a voice or sometimes it seems like an audible voice, and it says, God doesn't care. Um, did God really mean that? When, when, when God wrote that, is the Bible really the Bible? Is doubt, 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 doubt? That's probably Satan whispering in your ear. <laughs> And he wants you to doubt. You know, Satan knows that if he can get you to doubt God, he can get you to disobey God. If he can get you to doubt God, he can get you to disobey God. And you need to know this. Because some of you have catastrophes in your past. You've got consequences you're living with because of regrets in your past. And someone whispered in your ear and you weren't smart enough to walk away. So when a stranger walks up like this situation and start hearing things in your mind that are contrary to the word of God, do not hesitate. Do not wait. Run. Run. Get away. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He starts the conversation pretty innocently besides the doubt factor there. Oh, the woman said to the serpent, Oh, she states a fact. No, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. No, 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 that's true. We can eat from the trees. Now, you know, you're wrong on that one, Mr. Serpent. You know, he did say we can eat from the trees. And this next chunk in verse number three is huge. Someone say huge. I'm telling you, it may have happened thousands of years ago, but it impacts where you live right now. Right now. Watch this. But about... The fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. Concerning the fruit from the middle of the tree of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said. Someone say God said. Okay, from this point, she is quoting the word of God. What I want you to hear right now is she quotes it incorrectly. We are so one, excuse me, but we are so ignorant of the word of God. And two, we have our version of the Word of God. And it gets us in trouble. I'm going to show you how it got her in trouble. One, we, you know, how in the world can we obey God and love God and know God if we don't know His Word? 
We've got to be students of the Word of God. You can't survive on what some preacher, no matter what the church is, and no matter how good he is or how long he preaches or how loud, how loud he hollers, you can't survive as a believer in Jesus Christ on one meal a week or three meals a week. You need to get into the book. Okay? So from this point, Eve is quoting her version of the Word of God. Here's what she says. God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, there's a couple, at least a couple of problems here that I really want you to grab. This is one of the big things I want you to take home today. This is one of the big takeaways, all right? Now, she was correct when she said in verse 3, God said, you must not eat it. She got that part correct. Okay? But where does this touch thing come in? Was that her... Was that something... You know, did Adam throw that to her and say, you know... I, I was surprised. You know, you know, God said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You remember, remember that story, you know, from the, old, from the Old Testament? The Ten Commandments? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Pretty simple. God added a few more caveats to it. But do you know what the Jews came along and did? The rabbis came along and added not 39 commands, but 39 categories. Categories. They figured out somehow that you could do certain things. But here's the deal. You were not allowed to pick the bones of a piece of fish. Because that was somehow related to harvesting and therefore was disallowed. Hello? Let me just tell you something. God did not give the Jews 39 categories on ways to obey the Sabbath. Well, who thought that up? They did. And we get in such trouble because we do the same thing with the Word of God. I'm old enough to remember a time. You know, one of the big cardinal sins in the Baptist church was playing cards. I mean, you, we've flacked off now. Okay? But I remember, you did not have... Listen, if you're a good badness, you did not have a deck of cards in your house. You did not play any game with dice because of the vice of gambling. Those were things. Now, can you trust me on something? The Bible does not say, Thou shalt not play cards. But it was presented in the church as the Word of God. There was no rule that said, Thou shalt not roll dice. In fact, they cast lots in making decisions. But it was presented as the word of God. Thou shalt not dance. Some of y'all remember that one. I had a lady in Cobden. Churched. They churched her for dancing. Kicked her out of the church for dancing. Of course, this is like 1910, but regardless. And again, David danced before the Lord. Now, he was dancing for God and not Elvis Presley, but regardless. Bible doesn't say thou shalt not dance. So that's my point. My point is she got the first part right, but then she came up with this touch thing. I don't know, I don't know where Adam came up with it. It's not there. I'll read the verse for you. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Does anyone see touch? in there? Does anyone see touch in there? No? And it bites her. It bites her later. That's, what, that's my point. It bites her later. 
Okay? Now, another thing she does, it, it seems small, but it's not, because when she gives the penalty, look, she says, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Well, that's not what God said. He said, you will certainly die. And that was important because of what Satan was fixing to say. Okay? So she was loose with the word of God. And she added her version to the word of God, and it will get you in trouble. Okay, well, how did it work out? Well, verse 4. No, you will not die. Satan just calls her and God a liar. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so much of that statement is true. But here's the deal. What he didn't say was that when Eve chose to eat it, never mentioned the death part, and she wasn't going to become a god, she was going to become a sinner. See, God later on says their eyes were open, and they knew good and evil. That part was correct. But Satan presented that. God's holding back on you. You'll be a god. No. They were going to be a sinner because they disobeyed God. But Satan didn't... Satan won't tell you all. Satan won't tell you all the facts. When he's tempting you to sin, when he says you deserve it, you're, you're tired of your stinking marriage, so go find you another one. You know? He won't tell you all the consequences. He won't tell you all the stuff. He's a liar and the father of it. Don't you believe him? Don't you believe him? So here we are. Then we see this free will high cost. You say, well, why, why did God grant Eve the ability even to sin? Why didn't he just like, say, no, you don't have that ability? Because God didn't want robots. He wanted man to choose him, not by command, but by free will. Just like you. He could order you and force you to believe in Jesus. That's not the way he operates. He wants you to have free will. He wants it to be your choice. Well, let's see what happens. In Genesis 3, 6 and 7, we're going to fast forward just a little bit. The woman saw, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. In other words, she saw it and said, hmm, this is practical, it's good for food. It's delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So after Satan has done his work and promised her that she would be a god if she did this, she starts analyzing. Okay, and comes up to the conclusion that, you know what, this tree is good for food. There are lots of other trees, but not like this tree. It was delightful to look at. It was very appealing. It's very appealing. And that was desirable for obtaining wisdom. It would put her in the know. In the know. You know what I love about the Bible? We can fast forward 5,000 years, 4,000 years, and we can read this in First John 2.16. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, it was good for food. And the desires of the eyes, it was delightful to look at. And the pride of life, desirable for making one wisdom, it'll put you in the know, is not from the Father, but is of the world. How about that? She saw all these things and said, you know what? That looks awful good. Awful good. Well, so she took some of its fruit and she ate it. Now, this is something I think the Lord showed me um, for this message. I think it's significant. I think it's very significant, by the way, that she said you must not eat it or touch it. That's very significant. I told you it would bite. 
All right, so here's the tree, and here's the fruit. It's hanging there. Now, in order to get the fruit and eat it, what does she have to do first? She has to pick it. She has to touch it. And her version of the Word of God that says you cannot eat it or touch it or you'll die. Follow me. She sees the fruit. She reaches up and touches it and nothing happens. Nothing happens. You know why nothing happened? Because God didn't say, don't touch it. He said, don't eat it. So she's sitting there, and she touches it, and nothing happens. And she goes, well, wait a minute. Maybe this is all a ruse. After all, I touched the fruit, and nothing happened. It baited her for the next step. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when you add to the word of God, Satan will use that to bring you down. He'll use that to bring you down. So she touches it. Nothing happens. She takes her hand and she eats it. And then the sinner becomes a seducer. Okay? And she gives it to her husband who was with her. And he ate it also. And believe me, something happened. They died. A couple of things happens. They begin to die physically. All this junk that we blame God for, all the cancer and the sickness and sorrow and grief and death, all that, it all occurred right here. It all started at this point. But spiritually, she died instantly. Spiritually, he died instantly. Now, I don't have... There's, there's several things in the Bible that I just don't understand. And one of them is how Adam stood there and let this happen. How did Adam stand here and let this happen? He knew. He watched this He watched this unfold and did absolutely nothing. And I can't explain that to you. But this just popped in my head. How many times have we seen people on the verge of sin and stood by and did absolutely nothing? She was deceived in her sin. He sinned with eyes wide open. He he saw with glaring clarity the sin and yet chose to sin. She was deceived in some sort. He was not. He just simply chose to disobey. And the Bible says, The eyes of both them were opened, and they knew they were naked. Now, this has so much more to do than not having clothes on. This is a symbolic look at man's death spiritually. When it says they knew they were naked, they knew they were naked before God. They knew that fellowship was broken. They knew relationship was broken. They knew what was is no longer so. That's what it says. What they enjoyed before. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine not feeling shame and then feeling shame? You never felt shame before. Never. And all of a sudden you had this feeling and all of a sudden you don't know how to describe it but we would call it now shame can you imagine never having never having felt guilt never having felt guilt 
And all of a sudden you have this, you can't describe it. And, and, and then what if, what if you never had fear? I mean, do you understand? In, in that culture where they were in this perfect world, you could walk up the line and say, nice kitty. There's no death. There's no sickness. There's no sorrow. And all of a sudden you have this, this dread and what we would now call fear. Can you imagine how different that was for them? What used to bring comfort now brings distress. All that occurred instantly. And they don't have words to describe what's going on. But they know this. What was ain't no more. What was ain't no more. And what did they do? What would you do? Well, when you're a kid and you knocked a vase off, your mama's vase, you had two choices. You could throw it away and hope she didn't notice, or you could try to fix it. You get your super glue out and try to glue the thing back together. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's men and all the king's horses couldn't put Humpty together again. That wasn't even close. But you get the idea. Well, they try to fix it. Look what they do. So they... They, they, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You know what that is? That, dear friends, is the birth of religion. That's the birth of religion. See, religion is man's attempt to reach God. And Calvary is God's attempt. To reach man. And they're not the same. They're not the same. You don't need that old time religion. You need that old time Jesus. You don't need stop and start. You need Jesus. You don't go to church. You say, well, I need to start going to church. That's fine. Love to have you. But you need Jesus. But they tried to fix it. And man's done that ever since. We've tried to fix it with all the kinds of religion in the world. Only Christianity is different. And it's the salvation of grace. Everything else is works. I'll work it. I'll work it. I'll work it. Only grace is different. They tried to fix it. Well, we're out of time and I'm not out of sermon. So let's wind it up with this. Man's in a mess. He's separated from God, and there's a thing he can do about it. What was is no longer so. What was perfect and wonderful is now sad, broken, and depressed. And he can't fix it. And that's where we have to stop. And you're going to have to come back next week to hear the next message, to see the next Avengers Infinity War. To see how it's all redeemed. But I can't leave you with nothing. So I'll give you a couple of hints. I'll tell you that in Genesis chapter 3. That when God is addressing down, is dressing down Satan and saying, why did you do this? He said, you need to know something. I'm going to put at war between you and him, her seed. And, and 
You are going to bruise his heel. Talking about Calvary, the crucifixion. He said, but he's going to bruise your head. You're going to cause a non-fatal wound and that he's going to die. But on the third day, he's getting back up again. Okay? He's getting back up again. But, but he's going to one day cast you into the lake of fire, not for ten years, not for a thousand years, but forever and ever and ever. There's a glimpse of grace. There's a glimpse of grace because God takes off that frail attempt of fig leaves and goes and gets an innocent animal and slaughters the animal and spills the blood. Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And God takes the skins from that slain animal and makes coats, coverings for them. God did what they couldn't do, just like he does for us. And then you know what he did? He threw them out of the garden. Wonder why? That mean, that mean old God. You know they were sorry, Dwayne. They were sorry. Come on. Why they won't kick him out of the garden for? Because in Genesis 3, it tells us. God says, you know what? They might eat of the tree of life and live forever in their broken state. The reason he cast them out of the garden was so they wouldn't eat from the tree of eternal life and live forever in their broken state because God has something better than our broken state. He has eternity made whole and healed. That's why. God wasn't being a mean old God. He was being a graceful God. See, God's a good God. A good God. I hope you'll come back next week. We're going to spend the whole time talking about salvation. Talking about the amazing plan that God has for redemption of mankind that's so broken. But if you can't wait to hear the rest of the story, my friend Brent is going to be standing down front. And just for you, you can come down and say, Brent, I can't wait. And you shouldn't wait. Dwayne, Brent, I... I want to know the rest of the story now. Because I'm one of them broken people. I know I am. I'm separated from God. I want to know how I can come back in the fellowship relationship with Him. And Brent will tell you early the rest of the story. Just for you today. So I pray you leave with a high view of God. Through the lens of God. How God intended. And by the way, I'll just tell you now. I can't wait. I can't wait. What God intended is what eternity is all about with Him. He's going to restore all that Satan stole away in eternity. Shoot that thing. Let's pray. Well, God, I sure thank you for letting me have this time to share. God, I'm amazed. I said it before and I'll say it again. I am amazed, Father, that we are made just a little lower than you. We know that's a lot. But the fact that you value us so much. In fact, God, you love the world so much. You gave your son and that helps us understand that. You loved us so much, you gave your son. And whosoever believes him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How incredible is that? Lord, I pray for someone today not be able to wait to hear the rest of the story. Lord, that their heart is burdened today by their guilt and their shame and their sin, and they want to be set free from that today. And I pray they'll come down right now and take Brent by the hand and say, i got to know the rest of the story. i got to know the hope of how I can have eternal life. And Lord, give us the privilege of sharing that.